Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of This Week in Innovation. I'm flying solo today as my podcast partner, Brian, is out doing venture capital things. But today, we will be talking about some really interesting data that recently published. My guest today will be Roshan Junja, General Manager of Square, to talk about this, the recent study. Hey, Roshan, how are you doing today? Good. How's it going, Jeff? Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to digging into some of this data. As we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do at Square? Yeah, I'm the head of retail at Square. I've been at the company for about six years now. Uh, and in a nutshell, my goal is to empower retailers of all shapes and sizes to thrive by leveraging the platform at Square. I oversee all aspects of the vertical here, including uh, creating the best experience for retailers who run their businesses on Square's software and hardware. Wow, fantastic. So you just published Festive Forecast 2022. Can I ask you a few questions about some of the data? Yeah, please do. Awesome. Well, let's start with this. And for everyone that's audio, I'll have these screenshots in our, our notes. I'll try to describe the points we're going to talk about, but this might be a really good one to actually pop over to YouTube and look at the actual video for. So the first, the first slide we're going to talk about is the key findings, festive findings wrapped up. And I noticed shoppers feel the squeeze is probably, I think, your lead takeaway. What, how do you think inflation is going to impact retail 2022? Yeah, definitely a top of mind on both sides of the equation, right? Both for our shoppers and for people that are selling. And I think what's happening is the aversion of what's happened at all the prior times. There's been these macroeconomic issues that are reducing spending power. And what that is, I think folks are thinking a little bit more carefully about their purchasing. There's still a lot of interest in spending. I think a lot of what we saw in this survey and elsewhere was that shoppers still want to shop. But I think what we're going to see is a reduction potentially in more frivolous or impulse buying, a little bit more deliberation in terms of what they go out to purchase. And I also, and this is not only in our findings, but what we're hearing more broadly, more of an interest in thinking about viable alternatives. So maybe not the top luxury brand of something, but something that's, you know, close in quality, but, but less expensive. And so that's a few of the ways that I would imagine shoppers are going to um, be behaving this holiday season. The, one of the findings was slay with Afterpay. And the data point is one out of six Americans use BNPL, buy now, pay later. That, I was actually surprised by that. That seems pretty high. Is that an ongoing growth trajectory? I'm sure since you invested in that, you think that's the case. But has it always been that high? One out of six Americans? Yeah. One of the ways to look at this is it's a place where I think Australia actually led the charge in terms of introducing this concept of buy now, pay later. And for a variety of reasons, it grabbed a lot of traction. So this percentage looks a lot higher over there. But as it's made its way over to the U.S., we certainly see the highest adoption, I think, is in online selling. What, you're, what you would find is that it gives consumers a way to have a little bit more predictability in terms of when they have to pay for something by spreading it out in these equal payments. But one of the prime drivers behind our acquisition, or one of the many benefits, I would say, is that we're now able to offer this in store as well. And so it just, it's yet another way that Square is trying to take these emerging trends and make sure that they're omni-channel ready and that our sellers can take advantage of them wherever their buyers are. I probably should have asked you at the start, but your client base is, and I think I've seen garage sales using your technology all the way up to how large of a retailer do you get to? Oh, I would say some household names. Recently, we, uh, we have a, a partnership with SoFi Stadium. I think what's interesting that a lot of folks don't know is that, as you point out, 
Square is really well known for that smaller seller, whether it's garage sales, pop-up markets, and food trucks. But it's been several years now that we've been creating solutions that appeal to upmarket sellers, tackling more complex needs. In the case of retail, things like inventory management and reporting, helping folks manage their staff, giving them more ways to reach their customers. And so there's really just a lot of value within our ecosystem for sellers of all sizes. So I would say, you know, it's those garage stores to, you know, some of the largest household brands you might imagine and everything in between. So we can, as, a, as I'd be remiss as a tech analyst not to ask spec, or ask you to speculate and you can decline, but there's a lot of players in that space up market and you're about to be another one. So when I go to NRF 2023, I should be thinking about you in far greater terminology or technology than just, just your, where you've been the last few years. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. In fact, uh, when you go, uh, you'll see me. I'm planning to be there as well and uh, chat with some folks. I think what's really interesting about Square's approach in this space, and, and you mentioned some of the other folks that are also selling solutions to retailers of the, of the sizes of market. What's interesting is that we've got a, quite a broad array of things that we're offering ourselves. And so what's interesting is that depending on the size and shape of a retailer you are, there's probably you know, different pieces of the ecosystem that make a lot of sense. For some of the smaller sellers out there, we've got free solutions that are, make it really easy to get started, skip a lot of complexity and just get you up and running, right? Hence the strength at those garage sales. But for your more upmarket sellers, you commit your inventory into our tool as a system of record, which powers your inventory reporting, your ability to forecast when you're likely to run out of stock, when you need to resupply something, tools to allow you to automate your ability to communicate with your customers, even when you don't have any staff working, right? So it's able to kind of handle off hours through some automation, some ML-based approaches. There's really a lot of, it's a very comprehensive ecosystem, which is why uh, we're able to continue to serve retailers of all shapes and sizes. Well, fantastic. Well, I look forward to coming by your booth and seeing what you're up to. This is a data point of unpacking the the inflation field. It's about slide three in the notes. Retailers' sentiment is also mixed about the holiday about the holidays will compare to last year. So in 41% say, believe it, it will improve. 30, 32% say, expect business conditions to worsen. And 27% think it will remain the same. I'm curious, is this good news, bad news? It feels like it's probably, I guess, as good as we could expect, but how would you interpret that data point for the listeners? Yeah, there's something not said here that I carry with me as a lens to interpret these types of percentages. And that is in my time working with small businesses and retailers, obviously included, there's just a tremendous resiliency. There's a lot of willingness to roll with things, to adapt. And in a lot of ways, some of the challenges that some of these businesses are fed one third that expect that things might worsen reminds me of some of what we saw during pandemic when things started to hit. And that is, I personally have seen, and I continue to have a ton of optimism in retailers' ability to pivot and to adapt to changing circumstances. And so I think some of what you're seeing here is that, yeah, the sentiment is realistic, right? There's a lot of things, whether you look at inflation, you look at supply chain, there's a lot of things that portend a lot of turbulence and it's got to be choppy in the coming months. But the way I interpret results like this is retailers gearing up and being prepared to make the changes they're going to have to. Yeah, I know I like that interpretation a lot. A lot of us in the analyst world are trying to wrestle with the impacts of COVID. And you probably, since you deal with so many small retailers, you probably feel the impact of it uh, of it worse maybe than most vendors. But boy, the, the amount of innovation that's been driven out of this mess that we've been in the last three years is, has been phenomenal. For the, those that are survival, they have survived. It's just been it's been a, a, just an amazing acceleration innovation. And I guess that's the point you're making here. 
Yeah, 100%. And the headlines about pandemic are often about things like supply chain, the difficulty in getting products and seeing things that are out of stock frequently at uh, retail stores. What I think goes underreported is just the amount of pivoting that went on and people moving into experiential concepts where supplementing their retail with adding the coffee shop. In fact, one of our interesting findings on labor is that baristas and more of these experiential components as a proportion of the hires that retailers are making, it's those types of roles that are outpacing life. So what that tells, what that should indicate is that a lot of retailers are open to making all sorts of changes, right? And they're being quite agile in how they think about the value they're providing to their sellers in terms of an overall experience. But there's also a tremendous response to the changing nature of what's gone on, whether it's obviously adopting online channels and more flexible fulfillment was pretty key, but it's also about thinking about the product assortment. What is it that folks are more likely to need? Some of the most inspiring stories to me have been, for example, the folks that started stocking up on PPE and selling masks and selling a number of pandemic-related things. And, but yeah, I'm just all underscoring this point about adaptability and resiliency. So I don't know if it's good news. It's great news that we've, the industry has responded and looks like we have yet more challenges in front of us. The next data point I'd like to talk about is Shop with Soul, and it's a screen grab off, off the deck. And what I found really interesting is one in five shoppers prefer to buy products that are sustainable or ethical. This is particularly true among afterpay customers. So that's a that's a that's a pretty big data point. I actually haven't seen that really laid out quite as cleanly as that. Is this is this on the rise? Is this been stable for the last couple of years? Have you tested this or asked this question in previous studies? There's been versions of this question that I've seen in the past. Based on what I've seen, I think what we're starting to see in numbers like this is that, yes, I believe it's on the rise. And part of why is I believe it's a generational shift. I think there's a lot of folks, Gen Z in particular, to call it out, where, you know, um, even as two, three years ago, we were conducting some research and finding that there was just this interest in traceability in the supply chain, knowing the type of labor and the type of plants and the raw materials that were used in the making of something, as well as an interest in you know, thrifting and a consignment and a whole bunch of ways to reuse and reduce footprint. I think sometimes there's trends and counter trends, right? So I think fast fashion was certainly rose very quickly and made a lot of things appealing. But I also think the counter trend there is a little bit of rejection of things that are designed to be almost disposable or very limited use and wanting something with more longevity. And so Really, I think as newer generations become more of a, a footprint by dollar in the buying demographic, right, as they grow into a greater share of the overall consumer base, we're also going to see some of their attitudes increasing. Well, that was definitely my thought when I looked at that. I just, th this one just screamed for the demographic breakout. Any chance you can comment on what the percent of Gen Z was? It, ha it has to be three or four X more than my generation, Gen X. Oh, well, for purposes of the data that, that we're pulling here, Gen Z, let's see, I think it was about 14% of the consumers, right? And so it's not like we overwhelmingly sampled right. more Gen Z to include in this data point. And so really what you're seeing is if you combine a Gen Z and millennial, so that's the 18 all the way up to 40 range, that's probably about half of the wow. respondents in our okay. survey here. Obviously, it's more than just that one generation. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, that's a good data point. I haven't seen that broken out quite that clean before, so we'll adopt that one for sure in anything going forward. Sure. The other data point I thought that was really interesting was the the comment on social shopping. Social media is another important influence, and I'm reading from the from the infographic blurb. 
Social media is another important influence with around one in four shoppers spotting gift ideas on Facebook, 27%, and Instagram, 24%. I thought that was interesting that more on Facebook than on Instagram, even though Mark's really fine with using either either one. But I don't understand. Were you surprised that more actually a couple percentage point more on Facebook than Insta? Yes, I know. There's a couple of things that might be at play here. One of which being there's a lot of sellers that don't have the time, the bandwidth, maybe the interest in setting up a dedicated e-commerce site and a channel. And so I think the default that they end up with is a Facebook site. And so if you think about what a, a retailer thinks of as their online store, a lot of them, when Facebook was ascendant, the social tool spectrum, I think a lot of them ended up spinning something up because it was really quite easy. It continues to this day to be a really easy place to, to get started and just get the word out and then have something to link to when you're trying to connect stuff with your shoppers and, and something for them to go back and land on and reference that you can keep current. And so I'm actually not surprised to see uh, a substantial portion there. I think Instagram... You start with Instagram getting more into the realm of needs more investment because here to be successful, you need to think about the quality of your photography and meeting your, your buyers where they are in terms of what they expect to find in their feet and making sure that your brand as a seller is represented appropriately on socials for consistency. And so it actually, the level of difficulty or rather the level of investment required, I think starts to go up as you consider some of the newer social media channels like Instagram, maybe TikTok and, and some of the others. And then that explains the next, which was next question you already answered. Square and Afterpay found that the majority of businesses plan to enlist a number, the number of online channels. 59% of retailers intend to sell on social media, 45% sell through online store. And that's probably because you've got the small and small and medium-sized retailers and they're, they are clearly using social is there is at least one of their major channels. Yeah. One of the things that, again, is a little bit behind the numbers here is when you think about the- Oh, that's the, what I want. Buyers. I want behind the numbers. I love behind the Perfect. numbers. <laughs> Perfect. Glad, glad to be here and then to be able to speak to it. The way I think about the buyer's journey is it's not as linear sometimes as stats may imply. A lot of times what's happening is you're discovering things based on your active social media consumption habits. And so you're scrolling through some posts of like friends and things you like, and then you happen upon a well-placed ad for something that sort of makes you go, that's interesting. And a lot of us, uh, myself included, have gone, wow, they're actually really good at getting me products that I might. So there's that discovery aspect. But a lot of times what happens is you don't necessarily go on and purchase it in that moment, right? It's not as impulse driven as you might expect. It lodges in your consciousness and then you might down the road see it echoed to you in an email or mentioned to you by a friend. And then maybe you go to this site and you learn more about it. And ultimately where you make that purchase could be you go into a store or you do it on online or a marketplace. And so when you think about these non-linear buyer journeys from discovery to consideration to purchase of the actual product, I think that starts to drive a little bit of social media is super important to get in front of more buyers, right? Because we know just by raw demographics, there's just a lot of time people are spending on social media. But then ultimately, if you get them back to your online store, this is actually a powerful approach that I like to advocate to, to retailers in particular, because you get a chance to tell them more about who you are, not just like a tiny few seconds or like an interstitial, but the full story of what your products are about, what you value, the rest of your assortment. And by the way, that's not so different than a compelling marketplace strategy where you lead one or two of your products, but you don't put your entire product portfolio up there. You have sellers come back and actually engage with you in a way where you can get 
more of your message and your brand and your product assortment across. And so that's why I actually think it's it's a great idea to try and drive discovery in some of those broader channels, but pull back more of the consideration and purchase to your own online store. Very interesting. Finally, 16% will leverage selling through text messages via conversational commerce software. Now I've had a couple of interviews with conversational commerce folks. I found it interesting. I hadn't really seen significant uptake, but that's a significant data point. I assume you're high on conversational commerce as a major channel going forward. Oh, for sure. To me, this is a meet your buyers where they are. I can tell you, I, I've got a pretty sizable screen on my smartphone. I tell you, I don't like spending much time talking to people. I do. I will text and message and do a number of those things as like my primary means of engaging because sometimes it's hard to just take the time out to invest in, in the phone call. Look, commerce should happen wherever there's communication happening and meeting your buyers where they are means being able to transact via text messages and those types of conversational mediums. Now, it's actually pretty powerful because most of these tools give you not just text back and forth, but images, right? Hey, let me show you a few different angles of that piece of furniture that you're considering, or let me link you to, to something that kind of has the full return policy detailed out. So it's actually a really rich way to go back and forth. But again, meeting the meeting your shoppers where they are and find their own terms and schedule, right? So I think this is a really powerful channel, one that Square was really excited to bring about. We have conversational commerce kind of woven into our ecosystem, including our retail solutions. And it's one I actually expect to, to rise with time as more folks understand that it's here and how to leverage it, a retail seller. Well, 16% is, I mean, it's legit. That's, that's a, it's a great channel, hold. right? Now. That's Curi right. Curious, do you have any, any forecast on what amount of spend will happen in conversational commerce? I've looked for that. I haven't really seen any, anything that I put any value to. But 16%, that's a significant number. Have you guys- Yeah, that's, I don't know that we have it broken out by channel for some of the same reasons I mentioned, which is it may actually be the transaction happening right. there, or it may be 80% of the discovery and they're asking questions that's interactive. But what I will say is that we're trying to make more options available. So one of the things that, that I find really exciting is where checkout link. So in the same way that I mentioned, we want our sellers to make sure that they're using a rich media like their own online store to ultimately convert their buyers. I think, you know, a checkout link that you can just send somebody in a text message or post somewhere on social media is one click way to transact when they're ready. So that's a way you can make that part of it very easy, right? And not filled with friction and entering a lot of details and logging in multiple times. So that's one of those things where ultimately the transaction may happen in the online check on the online store or in a checkout link, but Conversational commerce still plays a really important role, I think, in the, the evaluation phase. So what I'm hearing from you is I need to pay a lot more attention to conversational commerce over the over 2023. Yeah, I think that's right. Good I certainly enough. will be. <laughs> Good enough. One data point that I found a little bit interesting, I don't know, maybe a little concerning, you helped me unpack that. 47% of consumers prefer to purchase in-store. So let me tell you how I saw that and you correct me or set me straight. That concerns me, actually. 47 only. So here's the interpretation. Only 47% of consumers prefer to purchase in-store. Is that the right inflection? What does that really mean? What's behind this data point? Yeah. The interesting thing here is I would expect this to start skewing to more online in times of scarcity. And the reason for that is I would expect that more people come in with a plan. They know what it is that they want. And when you know what you want, yeah. it's pretty low friction to go find it online, do your price comparison, um, provided the fulfillment terms are okay, usually one or two days, for example, for delivery. Whereas the 47% they're going in store, they likely need more information. 
right? They don't quite know what it is that they want or know just how it's going to look and feel and get some of this experience aspect. For me personally, the times I go in store is when I need a little bit of expertise. Uh, some of my favorite stores to go in as a, a homeowner are stores because I think I can figure out with the help of YouTube just what I need to get the job done. But going and talking to somebody is so much better to figure out just what it is that is really going to fix that problem more effectively for me. I think of in-store as an important channel for expertise, for the trying, the look, the feel of something, and a little bit of discovery as well. I think another piece of this snapshot in, the, in time is also a little bit of a, a reaction, though, to the fact that at any given time, we're going to ebbs and flows of um, people's willingness to be in social settings and to be indoors, whether this, it's obviously a lot safer. You can eliminate human contact by, by shopping online. And so we've got new variants. We've got flu is supposed to be particularly bad this season. We've got some of that at play too. And I find it interesting as a snapshot in time. I, to be honest, would imagine that looking at this split probably May or June of next year would give us more of an indication of what like the kind of longer term trend is going to let me ask you to play analyst. What do you think that split looks like in May or June of next year, higher or lower? Oh, that's interesting. I look, I personally am really excited about the world where we have vibrant main streets and we're all going in person to really engage with small businesses as a cornerstone of our communities. I do think there's a, an important place for online shopping. Uh, I tend to think that it's a lot about convenience. It's a lot about commodity items, right? But for things that are a little bit more special, more differentiated, for me, there's no replacing a small business in store. Now, the other thing I'd say about that, that longer term state is, again, I mentioned experiential earlier, and I loving what I'm seeing a lot of small businesses doing by becoming, again, more of that center for their communities. And who used to only sell board games is now having a coffee shop so people can sit and maybe play a game and try it out. Maybe there's the maker in to sign and autograph some things. Maybe there's kind of some music. And these are the core experiences that are going to be near impossible to replicate online. It's what I see as an evolution of some of that in-store experience. Okay. So ultimately positive. Positive for me. Okay. Well, I'm the biggest fan of small business there is. Growing up in a small business and all my brothers being small business folks. Yeah, I think. And most of the people listening to Potter are all pro uh, multi-channel. You use the term omni-channel. And yeah, I'll interpret that. I like, I like your interpretation of that. Okay. One last question for you on the data was one I found pretty interesting. The most popular gift category is voucher or gift cards. I guess let me give you my thought on, on, on what I read about that and then you push back. One, it makes a total sense. I have twin 25-year-olds and they are very comfortable with having us buy them gift cards. Usually probably more, more you know, higher value than not. That makes sense. It's more functional. It's, they get what they want. But then I look at that as a retail and go, how do I merchandise a store if the majority of the people want to buy gift cards? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I do think that there's a little bit of, there is some generational skew here. I think older shoppers tend to prefer gift cards more potentially than younger shoppers. So your question on merchandising, look, I think, I think there's something about a store specific gift card that's a little more opinionated than say your generic prepaid visa that's accepted everywhere. 
And what that is, I bet that you're going to find something really interesting, oftentimes, at a local boutique retailer. I don't know exactly which board game, video game, piece of apparel, piece of electronics that you're going to particularly resonate with, right? Because I don't know everything that, that you have as my gift recipient. But uh, I'd love to get you something in that category and make sure that it's impactful and valuable as opposed to just something that's going to sit on your shelf. And I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of the flexibility. Now, at some point, someone's going to have to redeem that gift card, yeah, right? And so know. there's obviously still a need for making clear what the value proposition is of all the various things in your store and making sure that you can still speak to your core consumer because, again, and then when they come in with that gift card, who's to say that's not a, a lifelong loyal customer that, that you could really be building and investing a lot of relationship in with? Yeah, I think from a retailer perspective, it's honestly... Um, an invitation, right, to, to gain a new loyal customer you may not have had before by virtue of the gift recipient. And uh, yeah, it's just a powerful opportunity. Yeah, I, I guess that's a, the thought. Um, it's one thing to buy it during the Christmas season, but you still have to, obviously you want to redeem it. So does that actually extend the Christmas shopping season then into two or three weeks past, past the holidays where historically retailers just collapse over the finish line and just focus on returns. You actually have to probably have maintain a, a little, maybe a little different selection to try to recover all those gift cards that are going to be coming in people's stockings. Yeah, that's a good point. I would expect that. Yes, that's true. Makes a good, it's probably good practice if you're selling a decent proportion of gift cards in your overall volume to think about the redemption cycle and what it is that folks are going to need from you. And by the way, those types of calls are made really well by taking advantage of robust reporting, right? So yet another reason why I would say that the way that Square has been tackling this particular one is to make sure, for example, that gift cards are redeemable online and in store, right? People feel a little bit like there's some flexibility in terms of how they redeem, but having access to the reporting that shows you, hey, watch out, you've got 20% of your holiday sales actually have to be in gift card form. Folks are going to want to use things and they're not going to be really excited if you know, you're sold out of half of your inventory. Or maybe they will, depending on the, uh, the length of time that they've got to use it. That's a great call out. And it's something that I would imagine retailers should certainly be paying attention to in terms of the... I hadn't seen that in the conversation. I had never really thought about asking for it, but I think going forward, that is that is going to be something. And you are probably the folks that are really going to have the best view on that as to how big of this trend this is and when those cards get redeemed. And have we basically functionally extended the Christmas season all the way to January, which probably isn't making a whole lot of retailers happy thinking about, but it is what it is. Yeah, look, a lot of this depends on the type of retailer. I and mean, one of the things as a secular trend this year is you know that there's a lot of folks, I'm, I'm sure that you've seen and, and your listeners have seen, there's a lot of surplus inventory out there, right? And so oh, yeah. there's a lot of deep discounting that might be going on. And then, of course, you have your typical post-holiday season discounting as folks try to clear inventory to make way for the new merchandise in the new year. And yeah, these are all dynamics that are worth watching out for. These are things that we will be able to have an eye on with the data. But most importantly, it's stuff that, you know, the retail sellers on our platform will be able to have an eye on themselves. And that to me is really the magic of making sure you're using robust inventory management tools is you get to predict what's going to happen both in your business immediately and also seasonally. Looking at last year's Christmas is usually a good way to prepare for the next. Asking as an analyst, being very jealous about finding new sources of data is some of those, are some of those insights available to the general public or the trade press or the analyst community? What happens with these gift cards? Because that, that's got to be a major trend going forward. Yeah, I, I can take a note down on that one, and I will, because we've been uh, chatting about it here. We do periodically, as we find some interesting trends in terms of new products that are kind of, you know, rapidly vaulting to the top of the list, or just kind of seasonal trends, we do periodically share that broadly. And this will be one that will add to the list for us to look into.
Oh, that sounds just fantastic. Well, man, that was just great data. Thanks for the, all those insights. The data is, some of it's a month old. Any, anything you want to true up? Any better, more fresher projections to make? Yeah, I can offer opinions. I know that, for example, generation, generationally, we know that a lot of folks are going to be looking for deals, especially the younger consumers. And so there's a lot of appetite for these Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And by the way, obviously not those days, that window itself is extending and holiday shopping is skewing earlier than it has been in the past. Um, so I know that there's definitely going to be some shifts in the timeline. We know that there's still some big variables out there, not only in terms of inflation, but in terms of what's happening with the latest variants and how safe people are feeling about in person. But really, the way that I look at this question about what's coming is really more from a retail seller perspective and just thinking through what they can do to prepare. And some of the things that, you know, I think we've touched on already is inflation is for sure here, but just reinforcing and revisiting this point that shoppers are still interested to spend. They, there's still a lot of appetite for gift giving. It just might be a little bit more opinionated. And so here I would say that really it's a matter of making sure that you can reach your target customers and it might be a great time to lean into marketing because even though there's these oversupplies of inventory, there's somebody out there that probably wants the things that you're selling. And so you just got to find a way to connect with that buyer, right? Is it in an unconventional way? Are you not seeing sales velocity happen the way it used to in the store? And do you need to then take that item and merchandise it on social or merchandise it online? The next thing I'd say really has to do with value. There's a, it's not only about price. I think that's a classic thing is folks just racing to, to be the most competitive in terms of price, but value extends to exchange windows, return policies, maybe some help getting something set up, or maybe just that personal curation of a store owner that says, hey, here's some things that go together. There's a lot of different ways that value show up. And I would imagine that, or I would encourage retailers to really be thinking about um, underscoring the value that they're providing beyond just the price of the item, because that's definitely a big factor that consumers are looking for. And yeah, just really lean into the early shopping to the extent that you can get the word out. You can leverage the available channels that you're trying to sell on and make folks aware of what you have going into the holiday season. I think it's just going to pay dividends. Those are just a few of the ways that I think retailers can prepare no matter what's coming up ahead. Fantastic. Any, any thoughts on what you're going to be presenting at or talking about at NRF? Oh, well, I think there's a, a panel format and I have yet to see any teaser for what the, the core topics will be. <laughs> but look, it's, it'd be hard to imagine that in January, we're not in still, still in some period of uncertainty here with a lot of folks a little bit nervous about what's going on in the macro environment, whether it's sector or supply chain or inflation. And so I would imagine that those themes will be present and we might have some fresh data to look at because it will be the other side of the holiday shopping season. Well, I, I hope you present that because that's going to be really interesting. I think that might be one of the more interesting trends that, that I hadn't even thought of. It's just the redemption of all those gift cards. So we talked about it. We saw it a, a while ago, but boy, the numbers you have are just are really dramatic. Well, thanks so much for, for sharing the data with us. Thanks for you know helping out the SMB retail. Most of us are big fans of that and look forward to bumping into you at uh, NRF. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This was fun. Great. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for giving today's pod a listen and now a view. For more info, check out the show notes and please give us a five-star rating. Like and subscribe, as the kids say. It really helps us grow. If you'd like to be a guest, send me a note. We're always looking for innovative thought leaders and startups really doing interesting things. And make sure to come back for next week's episode.